Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the July 10th, 2022, focusing on Psalm 82. You have one job. I'm Crystal Shepard. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Burt Montgomery. Well, David is out for the next two podcasts, so you're with me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is going to be motley crew. That's right. Trouble. <laughs> It's well, like the substitute teacher. Yes, it is. it is. It is. And I'm like, while our parent is away, <laughs> we will try not to be too mischievous. Right. And we look forward to David coming back, but we can have a little bit of fun, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So in that, in kind of keeping that in mind, um, it's been really hot here in Kentucky um, at the time of this recording, um, like Mississippi, Alabama hot and yucky and you can't breathe when you walk outside. So I'm wondering if you guys could kind of help me figure out like what are some ways that you deal with the hotter days of summer cuz I know some of you it gets pretty hot where you live. <laughs> well, as Please. as with bo- Do you deal with it, Bert? Like how no. do you deal with it? See, really? Like like what most of the things that David would ask us as a leading question these things change from when I was younger and a teenager to now that I'm in my mid fifties. <laughs> All right, because I grew up in New Orleans, so right. So, oh yeah, it didn't matter if it's hundred degrees. We're riding our bikes on the levee. We're out all day. Da, 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 da. Y'all people are wimps, uh, wimps. You know, everybody up north, and and all that kind of stuff. I'm in my mid fifties. And, um, you know, after about 10 o'clock in the morning, I ain't going outside. Uh-uh. <laughs> give me my air conditioner and give me lots of water. And um, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Uh-huh. That's that's me, Bert. I mean, it's it's been a little little milder here in Virginia than y'all had. But, you know, I, I'm an avid indoorsman. And so, you know, <laughs> that's how I deal with it. And <laughs> I mean, unless I'm uh, unless I'm watching a baseball game. Um uh, uh, I'm just more comfortable indoors. Oh, 100%. I have a little fan that sits at my office desk. Um, and when I get to my office in the morning, it turns on. And then I turn it off when I leave. <laughs> and I stay inside a lot. And Lumi, Lumi is your best friend. I'm just going to say that. This is a, we are not paid to advertise for this particular product, but I'm just here to tell you, I discovered Lumi last summer and it changed my life. So you want to know how I deal? Fans, That's how. Lumi, stay inside. And I chew ice a lot. Mm. It was a hundred degrees here today. Yeah. We were and not far behind. <laughs> also, I really work on anger management, but I walk outside in the heat and I feel angry. So I also do a little anger management. I just, I just love how honest you are with yourself. Yes. It's lovely. It's refreshing. It, it is. It is. And I'm not being facetious. I, no, I love that you say, it's lovely. this is I mean, just the way I am. Y'all really don't get mad though, for real. I just, I just no. go back inside. I like being outside, but I just go back inside. So but like when you have to get out to walk to your car, the walk to the car is miserable. Okay. I'm gonna again, it. again. This is how I grew up all the time in New Orleans. So I'm just kind of like, okay, I don't like it anymore. But no, I'm not angry. So (laughs) what I'm hearing is that most of you are avid endorsmen, endorsed women. Yes. And 
the 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 moral of the story is stay inside when it's hot. So yeah. there you have it, folks. Stay inside <laughs> when it's hot. And um, with that, we are going to get into our scripture. So, Bert, can you please help us out? Crystal, when David left you in charge, you just had one job. I know. And I failed. I failed. I fail every time. So don't ask again, David. Wow. Okay. Well, that's actually the opening line to my intros. Have you ever jokingly said to a friend or coworker, you had one job? <laughs> Usually we say it jokingly to someone, you know, somebody made a mistake, dropped the ball, something didn't go as planned. You know, you had one job, we might say with a smile and maybe add a reassuring, and we've all made that mistake. I mean, after all, these days, everyone is so stressed out, overworked, over-distracted, multitasking on top of multitasking, on top of another layer of multitasking. It's really a wonder how any of us manage to actually get any single one thing done at all. But sometimes, you had one job is no joke. Sometimes a supervisor or a manager, oh, a parent, or maybe a spouse, says it with great anger and frustration. Perhaps we've had it said to us because we've been distracted, we got sidetracked, or we just forgot something very important. Or maybe we were given a specific task with specific instructions, but we decided we knew a better way to do it, especially if we could manage to our way to work it around to get a little advantage for us out of this. And then it comes. You had one job. And hearing it said that way is never pleasant for any of us. I think it might be fair to paraphrase the 82nd Psalm if we have God saying in that manner of voice in the latter version of this, you had one job. Psalm 82 presents God as having assigned leaders a task. And wouldn't you know it, they figured out they knew a better way, one they could work to their own advantage and to the advantage of their friends. Scholars of the Psalms remind us that some of the Psalms can be classified as Psalms of lament or complaint, some as Psalms of thanksgiving, some purely as hymns of praise, and still there are some that are classified as litur liturgical Psalms, meaning they were used in rituals in public worship. And scholars point to Psalm 82 as a liturgical Psalm, one that it would have been performed publicly in some form or fashion, as a ritualized condemnation of false gods, of lesser gods, perhaps of foreign gods. We are invited to imagine, an important, by the psalmist, an important gathering of little g gods, like a tribunal, or perhaps a congressional hearing. These people, this gathering of individuals, have been given a great responsibility to provide and care for the nation, to provide over all the people with justice and fairness and equity. 
And instead, they have figured out a way to rule for their own pleasure, perverting justice, playing favorites with the strong, the wealthy, the powerful, trampling upon the weak, the needy, the poor, and the powerless. And then God comes into this court and lets all of these people have it. You had one job. It's very interesting to note here, as well as in other scriptures of the Hebrew scriptures, that we're given this image that that God may have actually created lesser gods and given them power, and that God can remove them from power, that God can terminate the gods. Now, exactly what is meant here by that little g, gods? whether it is a realm of supernatural beings above or equal to angels, invisible power brokers of the heavens, deities, maybe just invisible deities that are nothing more than human projections of our own desires and our own consciousness, or whether it's something else, that's not clear. And that has been argued about for centuries and centuries and centuries. And it's a fun rabbit to chase for just a few minutes, but it is very important that we acknowledge <laughs> that God is over these little g gods in some of our Hebrew scriptures, including this psalm, whatever those little g gods are. But the power of this psalm, the power of this psalm is that it echoes the great prophets. It echoes for us as Christians, even Jesus our Lord, especially as revealed in the four gospels. It echoes them in its declaration that God expects God's appointed leaders to, well, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And this assembly of appointed leaders, whatever kind of gods they are, they have done none of those things. Now, let's imagine Let's imagine reading this liturgically as part of our Sunday service. It's a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Maybe responsively with a leader and a people, or maybe everybody reading together in unison, or maybe as a performance with a narrator at the start and the finish, and a voice or different voices in the middle speaking for God. Imagine being in one of our average American Protestant churches with important people spread throughout, local officials, members of local and regional, maybe even state and national government, business leaders, community leaders, legal representatives and judges and attorneys and bankers and executives and medical professors, professionals and corporate higher-ups, maybe a few celebrities here and there, wealthy, powerful entertainers, and ministers with access to important people. All little g gods in our culture. They're all the ones that we idolize and worship, aren't they? Or at least who represent the little g gods of money and power and success and prestige. Imagine having all of us read this together liturgically in a worship service as God appears before the gathering of the gods and administers judgment. As he looks to the leaders and says, how much longer will you twist your verdicts and favor the wicked? 
In your judging, you should be considering the modest and the orphans. You should be finding justice for the destitute and oppressed. I sent you here to lead for justice and equality, and instead you have perverted it for your own pleasures, and now you will die like those you have ruined. You will topple like disgraced princes. Oh my gosh. And then that last line from Psalm 82, when God is not speaking, but the people reply and speak back and plead with God, that last line, imagine all the other people in the congregation, the ones who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are being drained by the payday lenders and the enormous ungodly interest on loans that prey on the dreams of young adults. And by the way, I don't use the term ungodly here lightly, because maybe we all need a biblical refresher course on usury or interest on loans, uh, especially as many of us go around talking about biblical approaches to everything. But nevertheless, imagine that. Sorry for interrupting. Thank you. Imagine all the poor, the downhearted, the unemployed, the underemployed, those crushed by medical debt, those not getting medical treatment because they don't have money to go get it. Imagine being a woman or a child who has had their voices silenced by men on this, great men on the stage filled with important men of God in front of them. Imagine all of these people within the same church reading together that last section, that last prayer of the people in response to God's judgment. Arise, O God, and bring justice to us. You can bring order to all of us, and to all the nations. This is a powerful psalm. This is a challenging psalm. This is a psalm that gives us a great image we can all picture in our minds, a courtroom, a congressional hearing, a gathering of a great hall, and all the important people sitting around it. It is a liturgical psalm for worship. And our Jewish friend says that this is intentional, and it was intentionally used as a psalm on a regular basis, on a, on a uh, cyclical basis, so that the people of God never forgot that God has given leaders a task of caring for the good of all, and God expects the leaders to do just that. Inasmuch, my friends, as any of us listening, reading, discussing this text, have any position of authority or any ability to lead or oversee, my friends, we have one job. Bert, I don't know how you do it, but my word, I have I have several things that are running through my mind, but the first is just that was a masterful interpretation. About 15 minutes ago as we were preparing to record this, I was silently giving God thanks that you got this and not me, because I don't know what I would have said, but that was just, that was incredible. (laughs) My first thought is, God here sounds a little bit like Nikki walking out in the heat. I mean, you know, in terms of... uh, just just a burr under the saddle God. my goodness but um no I i'm i'm it must have been really hot that day um, i think i probably was I, I shouldn't tease my sister like that but it's yet another indication that see we as we as people of faith think that what really pleases god is how often we go to church and and 
the money that we put in the plate and and our, our all, all these our prayer life and these these things of personal piety, our spiritual practices, and those are not unimportant. But what pleases God, or con- or conversely, what the way I read Scripture, what really makes God angry, are the ways that we neglect those whom we are called to serve and and protect, and when we continue to charge exorbitant rates for a $400 payday loan, and they'll people will end up paying back $2,500. Or, or the ways that we, we continue to keep the poor poor, or, or keep those who are abused in, in that kind of bondage, that's really when God says, I've had enough. In fact, God goes even so far, and I don't want to jump to the New Testament here, but seems to indicate God's going to make some eternal judgments based on how we do this, mm-hmm. or or don't take care of those who need protection. It's, you know, our our spiritual practices are important, but this is this is seems to be yet among many things we can say about this, this is one yet another time when God says, This is what is important to me, that you take care of each other. One of the one of the commentaries I was looking at for this, um, I'm trying to find it. It was written by a, a, a pastor named Adam Hurlson, maybe? Hurlson? Uh, H-E-A-R-L-S-O-N. Anyway, he notes that it, depending on your position here, that last line uh, of God, you know, God, come do this, God, do judgment. The, the, it's an apocalyptic kind of thing. And just like with all mm. the apocalyptic literature, we were in Revelation a few weeks ago, right? Apocalypse to the oppressed, apocalypse to those who live, as, as this writer puts it, under the boot of the powerful and have no access to anything except more fear and more death. The apocalypse is a beautiful, beautiful news, right? But to those who are administering that, the apocalypse mm. is a, a terrible threat. You know, what's more frightening than the apocalypse if you're the one with power who's benefiting by having your boot on the neck of the oppressed, mm. uh, as he put it. So this promise, this blessing to those who need it is a blessing, but to those who are benefiting at the end, it's a, it's a curse. Mm. I'm listening to y'all talk, and I echo what Daniel said, Bert you dealt with this text masterfully. You did a beautiful job with it. And I love how you lean so hard into the power of this passage Um, because it is, it's incredibly powerful. But as I read through the text and I think it's kind of been alluded to, but I want to make it, I want to bring it out. The only thing these little G gods are judged on is their treatment of the most vulnerable. Like it's, it has nothing to do with anything else. Mm -hmm. That is what they are judged on. That is what determines if they did the one job they were supposed to do or not. And throughout scripture, this is something that God holds up. Um, through the prophets, through laws of hospitality, through much of the Levitical law, through the person of Jesus. 
that we are to care for those who are the most vulnerable. And I don't think I've ever read anything in scripture that cares about how those vulnerable people got to where they are. Mm -hmm. So if someone has ended up homeless because of choices they have made, it doesn't matter. We are responsible to care for them. Um, for immigrants who are trying to come into our country, they are among the most vulnerable. We are to care for them. Mm-hmm. We are not to turn them away. We are not to separate them from their families. We are to care for them. Uh, for minorities in our country, for children in our country and our world, for for people who have various ways they cannot care for themselves. Our job is to care for them. It is not to put them in a foster care system that is going to harm them. It is not to um, put them away in mental institutions where we don't have to see them anymore. It is that we are to care for them. And that is what we will be judged on. And Daniel, I don't think you stretched at all going into the New Testament because all I can think about is Matthew 25. Yep. Yes. And sheeps where and the, the sheep's and the goat. And it's really one of the very few times that Jesus talks about judgment, our mm-hmm. judgment. Mm-hmm. And the judgment is, I was thirsty. Did you clothe me? I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was naked. Did you give me clothes? I was in prison. Did you visit me? Mm. And in, in both settings, right? The, the gods of the Psalms, of, of Psalm 82, the gods know that they're doing, hey, well, they, in their mind, hey, we're put here by God. God, right. you know, we've got God on our side. Mm-hmm. And in, in Matthew 25, all the people who are righteous, who do the things like what we would say, Daniel, going to church, reading your Bible, mm-hmm. giving your tithe, mm-hmm. praying every day, who do all the right stuff, are the ones who are shocked when right. Jesus says, go away from me. Yeah. And then he looks at all the outsiders who don't know how to do any of that stuff and says, come, you know, come with me because you have done all of these things. It's the same. I think it's just a, a wonderful way to put these together. I looked to make sure that this in, in the lectionary text, this wasn't paired with Matthew 25, but it's paired with Luke in the gospel for that Sunday in the lectionary. But I would add, I want to add one thing, um, and this is a sociologist in me that wants to bring this out, Nikki, and and I agree with everything you said and everything Daniel said, and and when you were talking about God's judgment, and it is our job to give to this person, or it's our job as a small community to these people. But I think the biblical witness, especially the prophets, and, and in the communal sense of the Psalms, uh, when you talk, when you hear our Jewish friends talk about the mm-hmm. Jewish responsibility to step beyond just me or my small group or my small congregation and see a bigger picture. Because when we want to ask why all of these immigrants are fleeing incredible violence from Central America, we have to look back and see how our leadership created and sustained violent dictatorships and enabled uh, gang warfare in these areas to make life miserable for these people so that we can benefit from that. Right. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, that's a really good, um, that's really important to say because so often there are those, um, of us 
who really do want to do the right thing, but we can't figure out how. And one of the reasons we can't figure out how is because the problems are created way above us and Mm -hmm. they are issues and problems that are span back um, decades. And, uh, and it doesn't mean we don't do anything, but it might mean we change the focus of how we do things. Yeah. Uh, That we seek to put people in power who will not create these problems, who will look for ways to fix very complicated and complex problems. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't help but read, read this a little bit personally because I, I, I don't place myself among the divine council, but as a church minister, I'm one of those called to give justice and provide protection and love and care. And God seems to be saying, I gave you one job. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to do it, I'll fire you. Mm-hmm. And I'll and I'll get somebody who will. Yeah. And there's no two ways about that. And and so the the personal side of that is is not I don't think God wants me to walk around in fear that I'm going to be fired, but that I I need to I need to remember that be, being a person of faith and being a, a faith leader is a is a high and holy calling, mm-hmm. one in which we are I, I ought not take lightly the very real and sacred responsibility I have to make sure church is a safe place, mm-hmm. to care for children in, in our midst. And, and I mean, I think of the ways that parents in, in love and in trust hand over children and give us a sacred responsibility to care for them. Mm-hmm. We, we shall not, we cannot take that lightly. And so I hope all of our listeners sort of consider, consider the ways that we have been called to do this. And, and God is not saying this is a take it or leave it. You can, you can do this a couple of days and then take a week off. This is, you, you have this job. I expect it of you or, or else. And I, I hate to be so blunt with it, but it, this Psalm gives us an or else. Well, thank you all for this this conversation about, you know, a very, very difficult psalm. Um, you know, there, there's a there's probably a handful of psalms that I, when I read them, I go, wait, what? And then I have to kind of like reframe how I think about things and, and, and how did this end up being utilized in, like we talked about it being utilized in worship. But as I was listening to you all talk, it, it made me think about, what is our work? What is it that God is asking us to do? It made me think of a poem by um, one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver. I miss Mary Oliver. Um, So I'm going to read Messenger by Miss Mary Oliver. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums, Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture, and the pasture. 
which is mostly rejoicing, since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude, to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren, to the sleepy dug-up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. May we all do the work, the job of loving the world and all who are in it, including our neighbor. May we be in this moment, not running after the falsities in a frenzy, and just be willing to do the work that God has asked of us. Thank you all again for this time and for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.